0: Hi, I'm David Bash. I'm the founder and CEO of the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. I contributed to the book on Power Pop called Go All the Way. I, I, my essay is the last one in the book, and it's, uh, it was definitely a pleasure contributing. Hi, my name is
1: John Borak. I'm a contributing editor for Goldmine Magazine and a lover of Power Pop music, and I was happy to contribute an essay on the women of Power Pop to Go All the Way. So, David, I know you're a huge Power Pop fan, and I know that, of course, you put on the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival, been doing so since 1998, a great festival for artists as well as fans of the genre. If you could tell me how you came to write your piece in the Go All the Way book, how did you get involved?
0: Well, I was contacted by by Steve Loudon. Uh, I guess he had... Well, his band... Both of his bands, Czar and the Brother Steve, had played uh, the festival, so they so he was familiar with it. And uh, you know, as IPO is mostly you know mostly features power pop, I guess he felt that I would be um, I would be an appropriate contributor to the book. So he he sent me an email asking if I wanted to, and uh, yeah, I, you know, certainly seemed like a like a fun project and a great opportunity. So I said I would. So you, you know, I would have thought you
1: might've written about the International Pop Overthrow Festival because having been there since the beginning, um, I've seen a lot of great moments and I know you've seen even more great moments because the festival goes everywhere, um, including Liverpool and Stockholm and other places. So why did you decide to write about, uh, what you call in the book? I I think your piece is titled my
0: so-called power pop life. Why did you choose that topic? That's right. That is what it's called. Uh, I think Steve kind of steered me in that direction. I think he he had said he wanted he wanted the piece to be about things that took pl- place prior to IPO, you know, in other words like what led me to do this festival. So, yeah, otherwise I would have been much more inclined to write about about the festival, but he seemed to want me to to talk about my background and, you know, things I'd done uh, in in the in the world of power pop. So, that's the direction I took it,
1: and so you know, from from reading your piece, I saw that there was a. Um, uh, oh, I guess your your first brush with with power pop would have been when you were in you were in school and you saw, raspberries in
0: concert. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, our our junior high school in, uh, early, in early 1972 took part in a contest. Uh, Carefree sugarless gum had a contest where. Uh, the, the school that sent in the most carefree sugarless gum wrappers would get the grassroots as as a, uh, a to play a, to play a concert at the school. Now we all knew who they were and, and loved them, so I guess our school was really assertive in, in sending in uh, rappers, and we won wow. so you know I tried that once and i i 'd wait a million
1: years for a chance to see the grassroots but i 'm well, sorry.
0: Heaven, yeah, heaven knows that that would have been a great thing ah, for you. There you go. Yeah, okay. But anyway, um, so, so the morning of the, of the concert, and this I'm pretty sure was May of, of 72, Principal gets on the intercom and says, okay, this afternoon you're going to go to the auditorium and you're going to see the grassroots play. And then he said, also playing are the raspberries. And everyone looked at each other like, Who? you know um go all the way hadn't been a hit yet nobody had heard of them so you know we were you know we were ju- you know we were like well i who knows what this is about but okay so we get to the auditorium and when we we were there we see a, a white piano and a bunch of guitars and amplifiers and then suddenly these four guys in i want to say white suits uh, came out and Uh, picked up their instruments. And one of them, one of them, I think it was Dave Smalley yelled, Hey, you want to hear a dirty song? And of course, you know, we're all just pre and post pubescent kids. So we all shout out. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and then go all the way comes on. And I had never heard anything like that. I mean, I I wouldn't have known how to describe it at the time, but you know, the chord changes, the hook, the energy. I mean, that was power pop to its fullest. And uh, I just, I just knew I loved it. Um, the one thing that puzzled me, I had never heard the phrase go all away at that time. You know, I'm just a naive kid. And <laughs> I didn't know that's what he was, what Eric was singing. I thought he was singing go away. Um, and I was thinking, well, how <laughs> kind is that a different song? Thing. You know, right? and, you know, then, then he sings later, just hold me close. And I'm thinking, you know, make up your mind already. What, what do you want? You want her to leave or do you want her to stay? I mean, what? But what's the dirty part? And then the the line that's, uh, for her love, I was cruel and mean. I thought he was singing, screw in me. And I'm, okay. there it is. That's the dirty part. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I also remember that it was so loud, or at least to my virgin ears, it was so loud that I I, I looked to my friend Tom, who was uh, to the right of me, and I said, that was great. He says, what? And I said, what? Because we we, we couldn't hear anything. Uh, wow. Unfortunately, that's all I remember. I think they did like three more songs, and then the Grassroots came out, and they, you know, they were great. But at the end of the at the end of the uh, afternoon, when we're waiting for our buses, everybody's buzzing about the raspberries. Everyone's saying, "Man, they blew the they blew the uh, Grassroots away. They were so awesome." And uh, I I didn't forget that. So when I finally did hear "Go All the Way" on the radio a few months later. I you know I knew exactly what I was hearing and it it, it was a big thrill. Yeah. so it's it's sort of like you were led
1: into the uh you were led into the Power Pop club sort of ahead of the <laughs> game because it it wasn't even called Power Pop then there was no name for it. It was just you know a, well, a lot of people back then you know they considered raspberries bubblegum and they considered a group like Badfinger just sort of beetle wannabes and Nobody had ever heard a big star, you know, outside of a few regional places because their records weren't
0: selling. But so you you heard power pop before you even knew it was power pop, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Pete Townsend had coined the phrase in, in, in the late 60s, but, you know, it, it didn't gain any currency at that point. So nobody really remembered that. Uh, and You know, at, at the time, it was all music to me anyway. I, I was listening to W.A.B.C. Radio uh, 770 on your uh, AM dial. And, you know, they would you could hear you could conceivably hear the raspberries followed by the carpenters you know followed by led zeppelin followed by ray price and right. followed by the jackson 5 and it would all be you know it would just all be good music it, it, well that's that's how it was in the
1: 70s you know you could hear stuff like that on an am radio and there you know things weren't slotted into little genre boxes you know you you never heard somebody say well, I heard this great Americana song today, or I heard this great <laughs> oh, no. uh, uh, White Soul song today. You know, it was, it was all music, like you said, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't until Greg Shaw really started using the term power pop and kind of referenced the Pete Townsend quote. I think in 1976, that's when the whole discussion about power pop began. I think,
0: yeah, we'll which, which was the right, which was the right time, because that's when bands started actually doing that music again. I mean. The raspberries were, and Badfinger were pretty anomalous at that point. I mean, um, and I, you know, obviously they didn't really know that what they were doing was power pop. They just were enamored of Beatlesque melodies and uh, and harmonies and and stuff like that. I think I think Rex uh,
1: Rex Weiner in in his essay mentions that he talked to Jody Stevens. And Jody Stevens said something along the lines of, we didn't know anything about power pop.
0: We didn't know what power pop was. We were just playing music that we liked. That's Right. That's it. I, think, I think when Greg Schaaf, uh, when, he, when he recoined the phrase, I think it, it, it gained some cred among bands. And, you know, based upon how he described it, I think that probably contributed quite a bit to uh, the, the resurgence, I guess you could call it, of power pop. Probably, yeah, I influenced mean, a lot of bands in the in the you know later seventies in, in doing that stuff. Well, it's funny how it sort of ebbed and flowed
1: because you know Greg Shaw started that resurgence, and then you know Dwight Twilley had a top twenty hit, and then you know there were a few other you know songs here and there uh, that hit the charts as far as power pop, and then My Sharona came out, and that was the the biggie, and that's when the uh, that's when the ebb started. You know the backlash because every record company was Signing every two-bit group that had the word the in front of their <laughs> name <laughs> and, you know, hoping they were going to be the next big power pop hope. And, you know, some of those bands that were great, as, as you know, like 2020 and Paul Collins Beat, you know, put out some great records back then, but sort of got lost in the shuffle um, because, you know, power pop became kind of a dirty word after um, people started, you know, the whole Nuke the Knack campaign and
0: that, that <laughs> garbage. Right. And it stayed a dirty word for a long time. Um, when the resurgence of power pop, the second re- wave of power pop took place in, in the mid 90s and a lot of indie bands started sprouting up who were doing that kind of music. It still wasn't something that the um, that major labels were interested in. And in fact, they kind of thought it was anathema. And because of that, a lot of bands who were doing that style, they didn't want to say they were power pop. A lot of them would say they were rock or indie rock or or alternative or whatever, but they never wanted to label themselves power pop because then the label, the uh, record labels would say, well, we're not interested. It's too retro. It's, it's too weekend warrior, blah, blah, blah. So, right.
1: Well, yeah, you, you sort of have that, um, that layover from the knack days with all these unsuccessful bands that came in their wake. So to a lot of musicians, um, power pop just sort of was uh, I don't know kind of had a curse applied to it it was almost like if you were if you were dubbed a power pop act you were doomed to failure and you know that wasn't necessarily the case but people just sort of took it that way and even today there's you know you hear from a lot of artists and I won't name any names but you know some of who I'm talking about who don't like to be called power pop even if they are but you know God forbid you don't put their album on a year-end best of power pop
0: list, but then suddenly <laughs> they become power pop effects again. It's, it's, it's right. funny how that works. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that was a big problem for, for me when I started International Pop Overthrow because a lot, a lot of, you know, most of the bands uh, who were playing were from the L.A. scene. And somehow or other, uh, maybe this was done by me, I don't know, but the word got around that this was going to be a power pop festival and when some some of the pop bands in la heard that they said well you know we're not power pop we don't want to be part of this it, it's so uncool and because of that there were there were several bands who uh, and i won't name names either several who, who key bands in the scene who didn't want to play because they thought well i don't want to be associated with power pop and uh Uh, You know, eventually many of them did play when I made it, I guess, sufficiently clear to them that, no, that wasn't really the... Yeah, we have a lot of power pop bands playing, but never to the exclusion of of other bands with great melodies and and harmonies and 60s influences and whatever. I mean, we want them also. But it took a a few years. Right. Well, as you
1: know, I mean, power pop cuts such a wide swath. It's, you know, if... If we considered bands power pop, or if anybody considered bands power pop that just followed the strict blueprint of what the genre was supposed to be, you know, two guitars, bass, drums, vocal harmonies, you know, chiming guitars, whatever, there'd be very few, um, strictly power pop acts. I mean, there's there, you know, to me, and I, I mentioned this in my, um, in my third book, um, Shake Some Action 2.0, a guide to the best power pop albums, 1970 to 2017, I mentioned that you know, it has to have that certain melodic aesthetic to it. And you sort of know it when you hear it. And there can be keyboards, and there can be ballads, and you know, there can be things that you wouldn't strictly associate with power pop, but it doesn't have to all sound like you know the the beat circa 1979 or the knack circa 1979 there's kind of a wider range where you can draw
0: from well yeah and and i've uh, and i've said many times as you know you know the definition of power pop has changed to whatever power pop fans like right so, there mean, you is no, you have a band like jelly no yeah, you have a there band is like a jellyfish who, who 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 really you know if you if you want to obey the letter of the power pop law really aren't uh, except right. for maybe a couple of songs, but obviously every jelly, every power pop fan loves Jellyfish, so they've they've been included. And you know, we, you and I, could name tons of bands that
1: right. really well, don't that fit. But... yeah, one that I've mentioned to you is Emmett Rhodes.
0: Right. I mean, he yeah, sounds a lot not...
1: like Paul McCartney. He's definitely poppy, but my God, he was never powerful. Not you really. Know, I mean, it's a couple it's, of know, songs
0: maybe, but that's it.
1: Yeah, iffy. I mean, iffy. Uh, but. You know, he has that that sort of McCartney-esque boyish vocal quality to his first couple of albums, and the songs are of a certain structure that, you know, if Paul McCartney... I think I reviewed it like this. If if Paul McCartney would have done a solo album in 1965 instead of 1970, it might have sounded like the first Emmett Rhodes album. But, that's not power-pop. But, but, you know, it definitely, you know, fits within, like you said, what
0: power-pop fans enjoy. Right. And that's what it's really become. and, And I... It, 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 in so many ways, I think that's better. Even if it doesn't clearly define the parameters, I, I, think, I think it, it does... What, what it does is it, it, it enables bands to be comfortable being included in, in, in that umbrella. And, right. uh, well, you know, that's, that's been great for the festival, and I think it's been great for fans of melodic music in general. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree.
1: Um, you know, the the chapter that I wrote for the book, I discussed the women of power pop and I came into the project sort of late in the game and, you know, had to kind of, you know, do a little bit of research uh, obviously on, on what I was writing and thank God for the, uh, for the internet and for social media, because doing that, I was able to reach out to uh, a lot of women who are, you know, considered to be power pop some more so than others, but, uh, I talked to Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. I talked to the late Kim Shattuck of the Muffs, um, who told me she was a huge Mercy Beat fan. And uh, in classic Kim Shattuck style, said she didn't relate to Power Pop very much because of what she called the wussy factor, which hey. I, I thought was hilarious. And that was just, that was so Kim. I just thought it was funny. I also talked to uh, Jill Kasoris from... The Shivers. The Shivers, right. I lost their name for a second. And also to Nikki of Nikki and the Corvettes, who had a great album out on, on Bomp. Um, and, and it's funny because she didn't even consider herself power pop. I think she said something like, we were trying to be the Ramones crossed with the Shangri-Las. Like, well, that's, that's pretty close to power pop when you, when you think about it. Also was able to chat with... Um, Debbie Peterson of the bangles. And Debbie was the one who was the most uh, pro power pop, you know, love being talked about as far as that scene goes. I, you know, I love being a part of that scene. And, you know, she was all for it. And, you know, Kim was sort of eh, eh, power pop. I don't know. And Kathy Valentine was somewhere in the middle where she s- said, you know, I never think about genres and I didn't even know we were, Ever thought of as as power pop, so it's kind of interesting to get those three points of view uh, from from those three from those three ladies.
0: Oh yeah, and and it's true. I mean, there are there are a lot of female bands that never thought of themselves as power pop, mainly because it, it, they a lot of them just weren't labeled as such. I guess I guess the public and critics at large felt that it was a much more of a male dominated genre. And they felt that the subject matter of the songs, I mean, most power pop songs, as, as they were written by male, were written from a from a uniquely male point of view. I mean, there was a, there's a lot of unrequited love, which usually start, starts with, you know, the man asking the woman out only to be turned down or the man just never asking the woman out because he's too afraid to of a rejection. There, you know, there's a lot of that. There's also like in Shoes lyrics, for example, there's a lot of, you know, like Gary Cleve in particular, a lot of you done me wrong kind of lyrics. Oh, my uh, God.
1: If, if you listen to Shoes lyrics for the first three or four albums, I felt bad for those guys thinking, oh, my <laughs> gosh, either they've never had a girlfriend or they've lost every girlfriend they've ever had. And it was just. It was kind of depressing. Uh, to, Every to be girl honest, I've
0: ever had to quote shoes.
1: That's pretty much, yeah. There you but, go, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they um, you know married those lyrics to the classic you know power pop two guitars bass and drum sound, and later added some synthesized guitars and a few other goodies to the mix. But yeah, you know lyrically, especially, it's, it seems to have been a male dominated genre and I'm not really sure why more females you know didn't get involved but I think part of it is you know and we've had this discussion too um, power pop is more of a song oriented genre than it is an album oriented genre so while you could say that certain bangles songs and certain go-go's songs and even a few muff songs are definitely power pop none of them made power pop albums through, well, a, through I, I have
0: to I, I i do have to disagree with with uh, part of what you said i think talk show by the Go's is a solid power pop album as much as much of one as uh as a, as most male power pop albums i mean to me it's a female shoes album No right. yeah, not every song is power pop but not every song on shoes albums were power pop uh, so that one i think that's really the only one the only, at least back in the day, that's the only female album that I would say is is one that, without doubt, in my mind, is, is a power pop album. Right? The well, rest I mean, of the bands, yeah. No, you're right. Right.
1: Well, I mean, there's there's others.
0: Um, you know, the the Nikki and the
1: Corvettes album. That's power pop through and through. But I, I'm talking about people who are maybe a little more well known, a little bit more um, known to the general public, like Bangles and and Go Go's. Um, you know, the stuff that they produced for the most part, um, you know, the albums were, were never power pop. But, I mean, the Muffs had some great power pop songs. Sure. Even though I don't think, you know, Kim would have uh, uh, talked about them uh, being power pop. But there's a song, um, Won't Come Out to Play, which is just one of the best power pop songs I've ever heard. And I know Ronnie Barnett from the Muffs is a huge power pop fan. I mean, we, we geek out on Facebook Messenger talking about you know, the Toms and, and different power pop acts. So it's there. It's just not as prevalent as, um, you know, album wise as it is
0: with the guys. Right. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I think, I also think, and, you know, forgive me if this is a stereotype, but I think women's lyrics are um, much deeper and more introspective than most power pop uh, with, with some exceptions, of course, but, that's another i don't know I've, I've heard some pretty dumb lyrics written by women, but i'm no there so, sure there are, but <laughs> <laughs> sure there are but i think in gen i think one of the reasons there haven't been more- be- uh female artists doing it is because maybe they don't think their lyrics fit with that melodic style or or that production style with the guitars and everything, so I think that that may be another thing i mean you know bands try to fit their lyrics to the sound uh, and uh you know, again, most most women write from a completely different perspective than men, so uh, it, maybe it just doesn't mesh well in their minds with the music. Right, it's just a thrill. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say why there haven't been more female
1: power pop acts over the years. But you know, again, plenty of of great songs. Um, Katrina and the Waves. There's another. Yeah. Um, there's another act that had some wonderful power pop songs, but also threw in some you know blue-eyed soul and and funk and and you know rock and and whatever right. but i mean um you know kimberly rue from katrina and the waves as you know wrote going down to liverpool and they did the original version and the bangles had the had had a little bit more success with it but that's that's a power pop song from oh, sure. beginning sure end. and it's all you know it's it's funny to me um everything kind of comes full circle Debbie Peterson of the Bangles was a big fan of the records and the late John Wicks. They performed together. They were they, they were good friends. She even mentioned him when I interviewed her uh, as someone you know that was really a, a hero to her. When you look at a song like uh, "Going Down to Liverpool," even though the Bangles didn't write it, I think it's kind of a little bit similar to "Starry Eyes," the records you know, big power pop song because it's all riff. There's not right. really there's not really a set chorus, I guess it's all that guitar riff, but boy, the guitar riff on both those songs, it's, it's just wonderful. And, and anyway, I digress a little, but <laughs> it's kind of neat how it comes full, full circle with, you know, goes to the records then back and bangles and, you know, it, it, it just kind of all fits together.
0: Yeah. And, and fortunately there are a lot more currently there are more female power pop acts than there ever have been. And, uh, social media may also be responsible for that because you know w- women have, have entered the discussion they've heard a lot more of this kind of music they they think it's cool and uh, they end up wanting to do it so uh, and i and i think that's awesome I, I i you know the more female power pop acts there are the merrier i bring them on yeah oh the more the more power pop
1: acts in general the the better well I shouldn't say that there's some, well, if they're they're good, yeah, (laughs) right.
0: There's There's a lot of them More the
1: better because there's some that aren't, aren't better. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of international pop overthrow, let me ask you, you a question. Um, a lot of great moments over the years. And I don't know if you can narrow it down to one or two, but just two of the coolest things that have happened to you. Thanks to
0: IPO. What would you say? Wow. Well, that's a, t- uh, that's a t- I'm never good at those kind of things. Like I always, I always see those in, I used to see those in people magazine or, or spin or whatever, like favorite Sunday morning records. Like, I don't freaking know. I, I'll, you know, whatever I feel like hearing, that's what it is. And that's pretty right. much the answer to all of the questions I ask. But I think I can come up with a couple here. Um, well, one for sure, but I'll start with, with a different one. Uh, off Broadway was one of my, uh, Favorite power pop bands from the late seventies. I'm sure you would mm-hmm. you would feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, getting them to play uh, IPO Chicago in 2003 at at the Dear Departed, um, and now I'm forgetting Double Door. That's right, Double Door. And, yeah. uh that show was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. I, I could not believe how good good they were. I mean, they had gotten on in years, obviously, and I I I, I wondered just you know how how much. How, how good could they still be? You know, They're older, can they still rock? It was the most amazing thing. And you were there. And I was. So, I, was. so I, I remember looking at Tommy Allen uh, from the Flash Cubes uh, after one of their songs, and his jaw was just dropping. And I, I just kind of nodded my head like, yeah, this is unbelievable. That was a great moment. Just getting them to play uh, mm-hmm. in their hometown in the first place was, was tremendous. But nothing will ever beat... Um, and this is, of course, very appropriate. Uh, I named the festival in part because Material Issue, a, a band who you know is beloved in power pop circles, their debut album was called International Pop Overthrow. And not long before I decided to do the festival, their lead singer guitarist Jim Ellison had uh, tragically taken his own life. So I really wanted to pay tribute to them, and um, you know, and, and I've been proud to. Uh, I've been proud for so many years to, that that was the festival's name and was carrying on the tradition. But in 2011, Universal decided to do a 20th anniversary uh, edition of the International Pop Overthrow album with lots of bonus tracks. And the two remaining guys in the band, Ted Ansani and Mike Zelenko, decided they wanted to go out and tour the anniversary of that album. And... Of course Jim Ellison was no longer alive but they got a local musician who I know you like a lot also Phil Gotti, who uh-huh. was very good friends with with Jim Ellison and knew all of both both the vocal parts and you know guitar parts like the back of his hand so they asked him if he would if he would uh, join and he said he would and I feel proud that I actually named they were going to call themselves something else but I said no call yourself Material Reissue Mm -hmm. Both after you know, in tribute to the reissue of the album, and in tribute to the fact that this is a different configuration of the band, and so they did. And we were amazingly fortunate and honored to get their their first show. And um, it was we we sold out a club called the Abbey, which held close to six hundred people. And it was I was so nervous introducing them from the stage. But somehow I managed to do it, and then they came out and did an amazing set. And it was like Jim Ellison had been channeled into Phil Angotti's body. He, wow. he was a he. It really seemed like Jim was up there, and everybody loved it. And that that will I can't imagine anything short of Paul McCartney, you know, playing a set at IPO. I can't imagine anything beating
1: that. Well, before Paul plays the set at IPL, make sure he talks to Justin Fielding for the Power Pop movies, because we'd like to see that come out. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, you. Justin, if you're listening,
0: we're all waiting.
1: So uh, let, me know, ha-
0: let me ask you something now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've probably been writing about this this genre uh, longer than anybody else. I mean, when you started writing about it, and, and I wa- it must be like in the mid-80s in Goldmine. Mm-hmm. 1985, uh, what, yeah. What, were you calling it power pop at the time, or, or just mel- good melodic music or whatever? No, no, I was calling
1: it, I was calling it power pop, yeah. And um, mainly because of some books I had read that had come out uh, late late 70s, early 80s. There was one British book, I forget who the writers or the editors were, but it was called The New Wave. I remember that oh. one specifically. And then, of course uh ira robbins trouser press record guides you know they referenced power pop quite a bit and that's where i found out about a lot of these bands that kind of sparked my uh love of the genre you know and and a lot of them you know i kind of had to go back and catch up because i wasn't there you know for the original uh the original wave you know big star and and raspberries and and Badfinger. I sort of had to go back and catch up. And I was even catching up on a lot of the mid to late 70s stuff. Uh, but, yeah, when I first started writing about it, um, you know, I think myself and Carl Caffarelli, who's now a radio host, uh, many of you would know from This Is Rock and Roll Radio. Carl Caffarelli and I were the two Power Pop guys. And our editor, Jeff Tamarkin, used to joke that we would have to arm wrestle for the Power Pop oriented reviews in the in the, <laughs> in the magazine. But uh, yeah, I was calling it power pop even even back then, and um, it's funny because years after the fact, I, I found out because you always you never know who's actually reading what you're writing. You know, you never know. Um, but years later, I found out that that's how Jordan Oaks of Yellow Pills fame knew who I was. He was you know he was reading my reviews in Goldmine magazine, and back then, you know, the mid '80s. Um, was kind of a, a fallow period in, in some respects for power pop there was still a lot of great stuff out there and you know i was trying to uh trying to shine the spotlight on it back then and i've been doing so ever since yeah since 1985 crazy to think it's been that long
0: yeah and it's, it's because of jordan that i that i ended up meeting you but um jordan was the first person that i'd known uh who, who wrote wrote about power pop and Cause I discovered yellow pills in, in late 1992. And one of the things that was so refreshing about it was that, you know, I didn't think there were very many people out there who even cared about this genre and uh, let alone were are doing, mu- you know, were doing power pop music. So reading, reading the articles, reading his reviews of, of, of bands that kind of opened me, uh, it opened up a whole new world for me. And I contacted him and, you know, eventually started, uh, Started writing, uh, you know, power pop reviews myself for Yellow Pills, and then subsequently for for many other magazines. But when right. I met when I met you, and I say that and I mention this in in the essay and go all the way. When I met you, I thought, well, God, I'm the power pop king. I know more than I, I mean. I wasn't I wasn't trying to make it a competition, but I was just thinking, you know, what is this guy going to really be able to? I figured we'd just, you know, I would teach you a few things, and we'd share some stuff. And then I go to your apartment, and you've got these albums by bands I'd never heard of. And you're, like the Gravel Berries, for example. And although I'd heard of the Cheapskates, I only knew about their first album. I didn't know about the rest of them, which were much more power pop. And you're playing me this stuff, and I'm thinking, how? Wow, this guy really knows his, his stuff. But, um, for in case you have an all ages audience. Um, and <laughs> I, was, I was so impressed, I remember. Uh, and well, it's it's funny you mentioned the gravel berries because that
1: again takes us full circle because oh that's true yeah the uh, the main man as you say behind the gravel berries is uh, Mr. Paul Myers the co-editor of Go All the Way also obviously a huge power pop fan as well as an excellent musician
0: yeah I'm sure you know where they where they got their name refresh my memory David well I'm going to assume it's uh, from from uh, the Flintstones, the Gravelberry pies. Ah, uh, well, you know we'll have to ask Paul. Yeah, and I, I see.
1: Because I'm, I don't know.
0: Because I'd never heard Gravelberry before, and obviously it has, the, the, you know, any, everything on the Flintstones had some relation to to rocks and gravel and whatever. So right. I figure, I figure that's where he must have gotten it. But yeah, we should ask him that. Huh.
1: Well, this has been great. Um, it's always fun chatting with you, and it's always fun chatting with, with anybody about PowerPop, and, you know just to kind of wrap things up um, to reference your uh, comment um, about you know meeting me and, and you know talking about PowerPop, uh, you know meet, meeting me for the first time before social media and before the internet, you know and I'm not sure if I'm alone in this, but I always thought I was one of the few people who even liked this kind of music outside of the people who were making it. You never know. I mean, you just never know who's out there. So when you know the Poptopia Festival started here in LA, which is kind of a precursor to IPO, and then the International Pop Overthrow Festival, when you started that in 1998, and these fans and these writers and these musicians started coming from all over, it was like, finding long lost brothers and sisters that you didn't know you had and you know so many friendships have been have been formed through this music that go beyond the music you know and and, but they started with the music and that common love of you know two guitars bass and drums and whatever
0: else goes with it so
1: it's a pretty cool thing
0: it really it really was and you know we we have uh this was sort of the infancy of the internet, but there was a news group called Oddities, which was named, well, in part for the uh, magazine that had been writing about power pop, And we, a lot of us met each other there. And um, I guess that, in, in large part, um, brought a lot of the people from all over the world out to Poptopia and then to IPO. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Bef- like I had said earlier before, when I first read, red yellow pills and this was before the internet i i thought god uh, you know i guess i'm not the only one or or one of the one of the few out there who loves this genre um i I, you know it was very refreshing to know that there were others out there like like me yeah i mean
1: back then it, it, it was, you know, bef- you know, before the internet. If you wanted to hear a record, you would you would send somebody a postcard, or or you would write a letter, or or you would try to track some someone down via via an old phone number on on the back of an album or or, or something. And now it's just so much easier. And there's still a lot of great music being made, but there's something to be said. Uh, for a little bit of power pop nostalgia and looking back at those old days and and just thinking, man, that was a lot of fun, just making the connections for the first time and meeting the people and seeing the bands and feeling like you were really part of a community that, you know, months before you didn't even know existed.
0: Yeah. I mean, the early days of Poptopia and IPO were were treasured as and unfortunately most ipo festivals don't have that anymore because i'm now doing it in so many different cities that people aren't traveling out to to any any particular one but in liverpool at the cavern club it's still that way and that's why i'm truly hoping that you know if the armoires decide to to come out there that that you're able to do it as well because you'll see something somewhat similar first of all you'll meet a lot of people that you, you you only know through uh facebook or you know other social media and you'll see the kind of community that uh that does still exist at, at at that one ipo because we have bands and fans from all over the world who come to watch it and it's and everybody's so great it's it's not exactly like it was in, in uh in at poptopia or the early ipos because it, you know it's not in its infancy anymore so people aren't excited in the same way but it really is as close as we could possibly get and so right. I, I truly hope you can make it I, I really want you to see what's going on and be a part of it i would imagine anyone who
1: likes this type of melodic music would if they have not already would want to make uh, sort of that power pop pilgrimage to the mecca i would imagine you could call it of, of this type of music liverpool i mean that's where it all began unless you know unless you want to go back to buddy holly that kind of stuff but really the beatles sort of started you know the primer for all this and yeah so much great music going on and i know i've talked to you about uh, about ipo back there and just a great vibe and a great feeling you know it would be it'd be wonderful to uh, to experience it so one day one day, I, I hope to get back there. but
0: Yeah, I anyway, think you will.
1: Everybody, go out, if you have not already, and purchase a copy of Go All the Way. There's some pretty amazing essays in there by some, by some really talented writers, and I, I think you'll enjoy it, whether you're a Power Pop fan or not. Just some really good journalism. So it's been great chatting with you, Dave. And, you you um, too, John. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to everybody soon.